Welcome to the Charlotte Mason Poetry Audio Blog, where we strive to share an authentic interpretation of Mason's life work. We thank you for joining us and hope you enjoy the program. This is Brittany and Rochelle from Charlotte Mason Poetry. Today we're going to talk about one of Mason's good friends, Emmeline Steinthal, and some of the things that she did for the PNEU. Rochelle, can you tell us a little bit about Steinthal and how she became involved with the PNEU? Sure. Well, I think it's really difficult to condense such an amazing woman's life into a short period of time. And, but we're going to do our best to point out some of the things we think are interesting to those that might be listening. And when I think of Emmeline Steinthal, I think of, you know, the saying, be the change you want to see. And this is really what Emmeline Steinthal was and her entire family, really. So she met Charlotte Mason because she was a mother, and she had heard of her home education series of lectures. So she first reached out to her in a letter, and they arranged a meeting. And they became fast friends, and she became such a dear, close friend to Charlotte Mason. They struck up that friendship and a working relationship that would last a lifetime. And at this point, early on in their relationship, She was instrumental in Miss Mason's founding of the Parents' Educational Union, which would later become the Parents' National Educational Union that we'll call the PNEU from here on out. So she was passionate about Mason's vision for liberal education for all. Um, She lived in a coal mining district, and it was the capital of the textile mills. She, uh, she was adamant that not only children of all social classes get a living education, but even their parents, regardless of their class, received the support and training that they needed. They were so close that they had nicknames for each other, and Charlotte called her Lini, um, short for Emmeline, and Emmeline referred to Charlotte as May. And I know you've told me before um, that her children referred to her as Aunt May, so uh, did Mason know the children very well? Yes. So Emmeline Steinthal was also the mother of four children born in the six-year period, and they grew up knowing Charlotte as Aunt May or Auntie May, who would send books to them each Christmas and regale them with stories, including how she liked to teach her own dolls as a child. And Charlotte Mason was even the godmother to the Steinthal's youngest son. And Now, this family, the Steinthal family, they were among the first members of the Parents' Review School, later the Parents' Union School, which we'll call the PUS now, and they were all educated at home by their mother using the programs that we know and love. It seems like Mrs. Steinthal just had so much energy and enthusiasm, and she was really willing to put the work in um, for the, the larger, you know, Charlotte Mason community, but then also she had the energy and the drive to do those things, to live them out with her own family and um, to teach her own children. Right. And it's that experience in daily educating her own children that equipped her to become an organizing secretary of the PNEU and to advise other members of the Parents' Union School in the instruction of their own children. Now, she was also an accomplished artist and sculptor who exhibited regularly at the Royal Academy of Arts. So throughout her life, Emmeline Steinthal always remained a steadfast friend of Miss Mason, and her interest in the PNEU and Mason's work never waned. In fact, by the time she was a grandmother, she was instrumental in the first large state school adopting, uh, becoming members of the Parents' Union School, 
And this was, uh, the school was Drylington. It was huge. It was about 350 students with class sizes up to 45 children and from one of the poorest mining districts. But she was also instrumental in the parents' review. And Brittany, I know you know a lot about this. So what can you tell us about that? Yes, she was um, co-editor of the Parents Review, and the the main section that she was in charge of is called Aunt May's Budget, and that was the section that was for the children. So it was almost, it was a subsection of the Parents Review, but it was directed toward the children. So it included stories for the children, activities for the children, and even some different kinds of competitions and clubs to encourage them to be active. I came upon this as I was studying handicrafts and uh, looking for some of the different things that they did. And as I've gone through it, it's just really interesting and, and kind of neat to see how she got them involved. Um, there were some things like recipes. There were basic recipes that the children could do, you know, pretty much on their own to help them gain confidence, you know, in, in cooking and make some also kind of fun things. There were some, they had some cute names for some of the, the meals that they would make. There were stories. Steinthal translated from German some of these stories. Mm -hmm. So there are stories I've actually, I've looked them up to try to find them other places just to see, and I can't find them. So I'm assuming that maybe they weren't translated into English very often. The clubs were very cool. There were sewing clubs. So with the sewing clubs, it started off where they were sewing dolls' clothing. I mean, I would imagine when they were getting started, they probably assumed the children were a little bit younger and not necessarily having had these skills, you know? So they started pretty basic with doll clothes. But as, as the years went on and some of those girls who started with doll clothes, they were ready for something more. So the children asked her, for more challenging things. And then they created another club, which was charity based, where they would sew entire outfits for poor children. She would give them one article of clothing per month that they were to sew. And then by the end of the year, they would have an entire outfit um, for one child. Oh, that's there really were writing great. clubs. Yeah, it was really neat to see that. There were writing clubs as well. For the writing clubs, that was to encourage the children to some creative writing of their own. So they would have a theme of some kind, and then the children would then write about that theme. The themes were usually one word, like an idea, um, like consideration. And as far as I could tell, there were no other parameters for what they would write. So they would just send in something that they had written on something like consideration. And um, one of the stories I read, it, it was a story on that theme. So it wasn't like an essay format. It was a story just based on that idea. The children would send these in to Mrs. Steinthal and she would read them all. And then I don't know if anyone helped her, but she had all of these things to read and to look over and then decide who would be the winner. So I thought that was remarkable. I mean, not only that she was encouraging them to do all these things, but also that she was then personally taking the time to read each story or uh, even for the clothing that they sent in. Mm -hmm. She was looking at all of these articles of clothing and looking at the buttonholes and the seams and then giving feedback to the children. So when they would send in 
their sewing projects, she was looking at them herself and judging the quality of the work based on neatness and some particular things like how well they had sewed the buttonholes and um, how straight the seams were. So I just found that remarkable that she was so involved that she could do all these things personally for the children with so much care. Yeah, she definitely um, was a caring woman. Uh, she was. She definitely was. She also included instructions for some, some basic handicrafts in Aunt May's budget. Um, and games. Some of the games were really neat to see. And those would just be things to encourage the children to, to get outside or to be creative or to have something to do. If you go looking through the archives and, and find some of these, some of them are just fun to try at home, like a rainy day activities to do with your kids at home. I know. I've been wanting to try one of the recipes that I saw in there that was a stewed tomatoes and mushrooms with chicken that sounds really good for the winter. Ooh, that does sound good. So, you know, these principles of education we see woven throughout all of the subjects, like a golden thread thread all the subjects of this whole education and, and educating the whole child. So part of that was handicrafts, and Mrs. Steinthal was very involved in that, Brittany, wasn't she? She was, yes. That's actually how I first learned who she was. As I was studying handicrafts, I kept seeing her name pop up over and over again. And um, one, one of my favorite handicrafts articles is called The Value of Art Training and Manual Work. And the reason I love it so much is because she talks so much about philosophy um, and craftsmanship. And she also talks about the idea of handicrafts not being just about our hands, but also about our minds um, and how we use our imagination and we're using our logic. We're making mental pictures in order to do our handicrafts better. She also says that it's a way to express ourselves outside of verbal language. So the way that she thought of handicrafts um, really resonated with me because as a, I was a hairdresser, which I've talked about before in different articles, but when you are excited about doing something with your hands, it, it feels like it's more than just a thing you do with your hands. It really becomes part of who you are. So the things that she would say about handicrafts and the wide variety of handicrafts that she was very capable in, like clay modeling. Mm -hmm. She had a course in clay modeling, which as far as I know, no one has yet discovered. But she, she talked about Sloyd. Um, she's mentioned in one of my Sloyd articles where she gives some principles for how we should be teaching Sloyd. And she encourages the mothers to be doing Sloyd before they teach their children so that they are actually capable of showing them how things should be and answering questions. So I think I like how she... She almost just sort of, it's like a given, like she expects that we should be able to do things. She has faith in the mothers, uh, just mm -hmm. as Mason did. And and I think for me, it helps me to have more faith in myself to realize that I, I can do these things. I should be doing these things. They did all of these things. It makes it a bit more enticing to try them. So we are going to be working more on clay modeling this year using some of what Steinthal has in Aunt May's budget. So I'm excited about that. Mm -hmm. I do think it's really important that that mothers are doing this either either beforehand or with their child. One, to know what it is that we're asking of our children, but two, it's very important for us as people, right? Mothers are people too, uh, that we 
that we also develop something like the, the habit of attention, the habit of observation, that we develop the same hand skills so that we are able to appreciate handicraft from other people as well. Yes, that's an excellent point. When we're not making things ourselves, it becomes easy to be detached from the whole idea of making things and even the people who make things. And so since that is something that we want to encourage in our children. It should be something that we are striving for ourselves. Yeah. And there was one other point related to handicrafts that I think is really important that I have only seen from Mrs. Steinthal, but she says that there should not be any commercial value attached to handicrafts. And because of Etsy and because there's like a resurgence of people making things and then selling them, it seems at first like it's a good idea to have your children make things and then give them an Etsy store and, and to sell what they're making and that that can encourage them as to why they would want to make things. But Mrs. Steinthal actually thought that that was a very bad idea. And I believe that it's because it, it takes the joy out of making something um, when you attach a monetary value to it. When you're just right. making something because you love it and because it's exciting and interesting and you're learning and developing your skills, you know, you're, you're doing it for love and you're putting that passion into it. When you bring money into it, you become more concerned about how you can make more of a product so that you can sell more of those products and the mm -hmm. quality is going to go down and the love is going to go down. So I, I just think that's such an important thing as, as we teach our children to do handicrafts that we we let them grow in their skills and in their passion without making them workers, you know, without encouraging them to sell it and putting a price tag on everything that they do. Right. And there were times that articles that were being sent in in the handcraft was going to have a monetary value attached to it. But that was because it was an act of service. It was going into a stall that was going to raise money for a cause. And so rather... yes. Right. So that rather than just doing this as a capital venture, it really was looking at it as a service toward others. And that, yeah, that still has the focus outside of the self. When the idea is to make money for yourself, then we're thinking of ourselves. When the idea is to raise money to help someone else, then you're not thinking of yourself and you're still wanting to give your best quality so that you can help those people raise the most money possible. You know what I mean? It's it's just a different mentality. And there is still, I think, enough love and passion and care that can go into making something for someone else compared to making it for a dollar. Now, um, one of the other things that I, I wanted to talk to you about in particular, Rochelle, was the drawing clubs, because the drawing clubs had two different areas. One was design and one was illustrations. Um, and design was brush drawing only, whereas the illustrations allowed for pencil outlines. So for the brush drawing, you have just come out with a brush drawing course. And I know a lot of us have maybe had some confusion about exactly what brush drawing is and how to do it. But now you have a course to, to show us. So can you tell <laughs> us um, about brush drawing about, you know, Steinthal's um, brush drawing course and about yours? Sure. So um, part of Emmeline Steinthal's duties with the PNEU was that she did, uh, she began teaching brush drawing to different branches of 
the PNEU at meetings. And when she would visit Ambleside from Bradford, she would also uh, give lessons at the teacher's training college. So from this, I had, uh, you know, when my children were young, about 10 years ago, I was giving brush drawing lessons to my children based on everything that I could find. And that included what was in the art club in Aunt May's budget. But um, I had a lot of questions still, and I knew from the parents' review articles that Emmeline Steinthal said that she had a brush drawing course coming out, and then later it was announced that it was out, and there was even, uh, uh, Charlotte Mason had reviewed it, given it a favorable review, but I had never seen the course, and you know, 10 years is a long time in the digital world, and last year I was finally able to uncover this, and ordered it, and I was so excited because it did answer a lot of questions. It filled in above and beyond, I think, some of the mystery that was still there for me. Unfortunately, because of the the layout of it, it had a lot of things. It was an AL course, and AL published a lot of educational courses, and so because of this format, it was up to 12 lessons kind of crammed onto a page. And so what I really wanted to do when I saw this course, I realized looking through it that this would be unusable for a mother home educating her children, um, or even for herself if she wanted to take it as mother culture. It would take a lot of time to unravel. And so what I did was I took that time to unravel every single lesson and to put it in a new format. Each lesson has its own card and its own instructions. Um, I updated it for the 21st century and some of the things that, um, some of the design that we do while also keeping some of that timeless design that is based on uh, William Morris and the arts and crafts movement. Yes, I have seen both of them. Um, I had the privilege of being a proofreader for yours. So I've seen what you have done, but then I also have seen the original um, from Emmeline Steinthal. And I agree with you that it would have been really difficult. I did try some of the lessons before before um, I received yours. And it took a lot of time to to unravel it and to figure it out and to try to figure out some technique just based on the original. Um, so now that I have yours, I have been working my way through that and it's really awesome. For us with brush drawing, we were just, we've been winging it for a few years now. Mm-hmm. We just have our, our specimens and our, you know, different models and um, just try to figure it out as we go. And while we have improved, I can tell, having worked through, um, I'm about a third of the way through the course right now, it's so much easier. Like, it's just wonderful to have some actual instruction and to have learned how to hold the brush and how to lay down the paint and how to move my hand and my arm to actually make what I want to go on the paper be on the paper. So I'm really thankful that you have, have done that, and I look forward to using it with my children this coming school year. Oh, thank you. I think what what Mrs. Steinthal did was she really had developed a course based on PNEU thought and what hopefully what my course does is now translate that to uh, Charlotte Mason. One of her goals was to give mothers the confidence that they needed in instructing their child, but also to, to give them the ability to have the artist's eye and the artist's 
touch in order to put them in touch with nature and to give form and life to their drawings. And I'm glad you like it. Well, one, one other thing that I just thought was so neat, um, bringing together this brush drawing and then what she did with Aunt May's budget was the, the design that was involved. So as I have been learning about, about Charlotte Mason and doing nature journaling, I kind of always equated brush drawing just with nature journals, but they actually did a lot of other things outside of nature journaling um, with the brush drawing skills. Can you tell us about some of that stuff? Sure. So this was really another part of it is really to engage the imagination and also to help nurture the artistic sense. So in every lesson, there's an element of original design to it. So we conclude all of our lessons with original design. But uh, we also, and Emmeline Steinthal, it was very important that children were using their imagination using the brush drawing perhaps to illustrate a nursery rhyme. Or um, we see in the, in the programs for the school that they would illustrate the cover of a program using brush drawing. And Emmeline Steinthal would lecture on design, and she would encourage people to go to the museum and to look, say, at an Egyptian vase or a Greek vase and to notice that design. And perhaps they were, the children were going to be making a brush drawing from a piece of holly and its berries. And they could also, rather than do one that, that just represented the actual, what it looked like, and to see what they observed, they could also choose to rather do a design that was based upon the form of the holly and its berries. And those would have been things, like you mentioned before, that were part of the arts and crafts movement. Um, it was an idea that was popular and, and contemporary for the time, but also even now, the, those designs are so beautiful from that era that they're still relevant today. And we could encourage our children along those same lines and help them to develop that same eye and that same taste um, for quality design. Right. And and really, I think that the circles right back around to who Mrs. Uh, Steinthal, Emmeline Steinthal, was as a person. She raised, together with her husband, Francis, they raised four children who were very involved in, in bettering their country, in civil rights, in bettering education for all. And she had, you know, she could have been called like the the whole reason that uh, Yorkshire and these schools, the, like the Drylington School, rather than looking at it as her success, Miss Mason, you know, writes to her talking about the great work in Yorkshire. But then she says to her, I'm not offering any words of praise or thanks because it seems to both of us that all of this comes from a higher source. Mm hmm. And and that kind of sums up the, the great work of Emmeline Steinthal with the PNEU and the PUS and the Parents Review. Yeah. So we hope that you've enjoyed learning more about Emmeline Steinthal and that she inspires and encourages all of you. Thanks for listening. If you have enjoyed this episode, please leave us a rating or a review on iTunes. Thank you for listening to the Charlotte Mason Poetry audio blog. 
We hope you enjoyed the program.